Well, I trust that you've been reading 1 Thessalonians so much that you almost memorized it. And so this is a danger for a preacher because now you might know a thing or two and be very aware if I'm following the text, which is good. Praise the Lord. I encourage you to read, continue reading first, and if you want to move on and read 2 Thessalonians, you could do as well. I want to tell you that the offer still stands. People ask me, well, is, is the offer still there? You know, are you going to give us more books and stuff? And uh, sure, that's a good incentive, you know. You're going to get the book if you read the scripture, but then you have to read the book as well. So that's a good thing. This morning, we are in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. Now, till this moment, this is a kind of breaking moment where Paul introduced this passage with the word finally, finally. And this word finally moves from one section to another. So it doesn't mean that he's going to end up pretty soon. This word finally is going to continue for two more chapters and then write one more letter. And it really should be translated like now. At this moment, we are transitioned from praising you, encouraging you to go on in your faith, be strong in your hope, endure the sufferings, and that he prayed and, and concluded, as Bill introduced us, his prayer last time. He concluded with prayer, praise, praying them for them that they would encourage and, and grow in faith. Now he's turning to a very practical thing, how to live your Christian life. Now, if you, like me, sometimes, I don't know if you have this experience, sometimes you lay down in a bed and your wife says, well, honey, can you give me a glass of water? And you would say, sure, I could do one thing for my wife today, right? I could give her a glass of water. And as you walk in to get the glass of water, she would say, well, by the way, there's a laundry. Can you throw into a dryer and put the soup that is on the stove into the fridge and lock the doors. And you was like, ah, that's not one thing. That's like a list of things. This is how we feel when we come here to Paul. He said, finally, and then he goes to the bridge or of all the list of things that we actually have to, to do. But this is how it works. Theology never separated from practicality. If only that we will be concerned with theological studies, we will be big in our heads and very weak in our hands and our feet. We would not be able to do anything. So Paul is jumping into practice. And so therefore, that's a great shift and introduce a new section that deals with almost uncomfortable things. Uncomfortable things. That some things that would be uncomfortable that you would hear today, and I'm not apologizing for it because Paul is dealing with these things. Now, the chapter breaks basically in three sections. Paul is dealing with life, and he's dealing with the life in sex. How do you use sex in Christian life? This is our passage, 1 to 8. In, in passage 9 to 12, he's dealing how to deal in your Christian life with work. How to work according to God and his standards. And chapter 4, 13 to 19 to 18 is dealing with how to deal with death. 
Sounds very appropriate for us because we live, we have sex, right? We, we work a lot of our times and we, we die. So it's a good chapter for us to learn how to live our Christian life. Now we read this chapter and we engage. Chapter 4, verses 1 to 8. We'll read just eight verses. Finally then, brethren, we request and exhort you in the Lord Jesus that as you receive from us instructions as to how, to how you ought to walk and please God, just as you actually do walk, that you excel still more. For you know that commandments we gave you by the authority of the Lord Jesus. For this is the will of God, your sanctification, that is that you abstain from sexual immorality, that each of you know how to possess his own vessel in sanctification and honor, not in lustful passion like the Gentiles who do not know God, and that no man transgresses and defraud his brother in the matter because the Lord is the avenger in all these things. Just as we also told you before, I solemnly warned you, for God has not called us for the purpose of impurity, but in sanctification. So, he who rejects this is not rejected man, but the God who gives his Holy Spirit to you. Pray with me. Father, we thank you. We briefly want to lift our hearts to you so that you would encourage us to believe, believe your commandments and your will. Help us to embrace it in our lives and help us to be changed. Bless us, Lord, to take it deep into our hearts and down to our lives so that our lives will be transformed and be different. Help us to find things that we need to change by the encouragement and illumination of the Spirit. Bless us, Lord, this morning. Amen. So this passage is about sex and marriage, sex in Christian life. How to please God in your marriage. Now you have the outline, and the basic point that I want to communicate from, uh, from this passage, it is, it actually in verse 1, four, chapter 4, verse 1. The whole idea of the passage, the whole idea of all instructions, the whole idea of the commandments of the Lord is really one. If I would ask you today, what is your purpose in life or what is your goal in life? Why do you do what you do? Why do you read your Bible? Why do you study? Why do you memorize? Why do you sing in choir? Why do you come here? Why do you do what you do even now here? Why do you listen to me? Why? What is the goal of your life? What are you trying to accomplish? And you have to answer this question because if you don't answer this question correctly, you're going to miss the opportunity to do what Scott wants you to do. Like for instance, when you play a volleyball game, what is the point of the game? Now some people play for pleasure, that's their highest goal. Some people play for scoring. But the point of volleyball game or any other game, as far as I know, it's not to score. If the score is your goal, right, and that's all you're concerned about, you might lose the game because some other people could score more than you. The point of the game is to win. That's the point of the game. Now, you could have pleasure, you could have excitement, you could have some scoring thing, but the goal is one, is to win the game. So what is you, the goal of your Christian life? Why do you live your Christian life? Why do you do what you do? 
And the answer is here. Paul says the whole idea of me pleading with you, instructing you, giving you commandments of the Lord, explaining the will of the Lord so that you may walk pleasing to God. That's the whole idea. If you've gone today from this message and you don't remember anything, remember this. The goal of Christian life is to live pleasing to God, is to bring pleasure to our God. That is the goal. That's what he says here. I, brethren, we request, we plead with you in the Lord Jesus, since you're believers, that you have received from us the instruction as how you ought to walk and please God. We attend Bible classes. We do Bible studies. We do devotionals. We worship serve. We worship in services. We read our Bible. We read our sermons. We memorize passages, but we rarely ask ourselves, is it pleasing to our Lord? In fact, today, can I ask you a question? Whatever we did to this point, was it pleasing to our God? We assume that, of course, since we read the Bible, it must be pleasing to our God. Since we sing the the good songs, it must be pleasing to our God. I mean, with the band would be probably better pleasing with the Lord, to the Lord, right? But what is your goal? What are you doing and what's your goal in life? What's the point of all Christianity? What's the big idea? And Paul is is not hesitating. He said, the point of all instruction, the point of apostolic desire, is to fill the holes in your faith, as he said in verse, in chapter three, that he said that I will keep praying earnestly that I may see your face, in verse 10, and may complete what is lacking in your faith. I'm building your faith, I'm building your trust so that you may be able to bring pleasure to God. Paul is instruction how to live that brings joy to our God. Paul wants them to live a life, not just a holy life, not just a life full of religiosity, but life that is actually bringing glory into God by making him happy. In Ephesians 4.1, he said, I implore you to walk in a manner worthy of your calling. In Ephesians 4.17, he repeats, I affirm together with the Lord that you walk no longer as Gentiles walk. But there's always, you have to walk in holiness. Why? The holiness itself is not the end game. It's like you're scoring in the game, but the goal, the end of the game is to bring pleasure. And you have to ask yourself a question, am I pleasing to the Lord? Whatever I did to this moment, am I pleasing to the Lord? Is he excited to see me? Now, of course, in Jesus Christ, he already pleased in you for sure. But is your Christian life, is your life with Christ, as you walk in with Christ, is he pleased with you? Is he rejoicing over you? Now, what please means just simply to satisfy someone. Now, your wife may please you. You may please your wife. You please your children. And there's always a game whom to please, right? What should I do and whom to please? There's so many things to juggle, and we are lost. But the goal of instruction and essence of Christian life is not to get lost in the world whom to please because we only have to please one person at first, 
and that is our God. There's a phrase called quorum deo. I don't know if you're familiar with this, quorum deo. It is was coined by reformers in the early 1700s. Martin Luther used this, and it simply means in the presence of God. The essence of Christian life is to live as if Christ, as if God, as if the Spirit, and He is, right here watching you at all times. And this is our greatest motivation for holiness, for devotion, for anything else to be pleasing to God. You put anything else as the primary and chief goal, you will, pull, you will fall short of the glory of God. Making God happy. Now, I know how to make sometimes my wife happy. I know how to make my children happy. I know how to make my pets happy. But this task to make God happy, are we adequate to that? Are we adequate for that to do this? Do you see the warning? Do you see the, the severity? Do you see the greatness of this command that Paul is saying? He's not just like, yeah, walk in pleasing God. Just let's move on to the next point. This is the point. This is the main point. How is your life? Is it pleasing to God in the presence of God, in the quorum deo, in the under benevolent eyes of God? Are you doing all right? Yes, you read today, this morning. Was it pleasing to God? Yes, you didn't watch what you're supposed to, but was it pleasing to God? Was your singing today, was it pleasing to God? Was he happy about this? The big idea and essence of Christian life is to live entire life in the presence of God under the authority of God to the glory of God. In such a way we live that whatever we do, whatever we do, we have one thought, are you happy? Are you happy with me? Am I doing what you told me to do? Or I'm looking at some person that is he happy? Am I making him happy? I like how John MacArthur, every time when we had meeting with him at seminary, he, he comes once a year basically, and, and he doesn't teach at seminary, at least he wasn't teaching back then. But he comes at the Q&A and the first or second question always ask, how do, you, how do you manage all these things? How do you, how do you manage to please all these people, seminary, uh, the co college, and all the preaching, and all the conferences? And he said, I have, I have one thing. I have one man to please. is Jesus Christ. That's all. That's how my life goes. And you know, when Paul says this, he doesn't say something that he doesn't practice. He has an example in his life. He said in 2 Corinthians 5, 9, listen to this. He said, therefore, we also have our, as our ambition, whether at home or absent, to be what? Pleasing to him. That's one thing that he's concerned with. Thessalonians, I came to you in Acts 16 so that I be pleasing to God. I'm preaching because I'm pleasing to God. I'm living because I want to be pleasing to God. I'm dying because I want to be pleasing to God. In Galatians 1.10, he repeats. He said, for I am now not seeing the favor of man, for I'm, I am now seeing the favor of man or, or of God. 
or I am striving to please men, he asked. If I were striving to please men, I would not be a bond servant of Christ. And Paul tells us in Ephesians 5.10, he says, you have to try to learn what is pleasing to the Lord. Try to learn what is pleasing to the Lord. And we know that the very first thing that is pleasing to God is your trust and faith in him. Because in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6, he says, it is impossible to please him without faith. For he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who seek him. Paul was an example of what he's preaching. Have you ever tried to preach something that you don't practice? It's hard. Like, my wife always tell, tells me, I mean, you're, you're, you're way ahead. You're preaching something that you not really accomplished. And I admit, totally imperfect. I have holes in my holiness. I have holes in my faith. And I'm striving to have, to start with this, to have my ambition to please the Lord. Jesus is another example, and he's the greatest one. He's the greatest example of pleasing God, isn't he? And this is what means to follow Jesus in his example. This is what it means to be in the image of Jesus. And we have to ask, what was Jesus all about? Why did he come to the earth? Why did he die on the cross? Why did he go up to heaven? Why is he praying for us? Well, because everything that he does, he said, everything that he, uh, that he does, he does to please Father. In John 8, 29, he said, and he who sent me is with me. He has not left me alone, for I always do. Check this out. I always do the things that are pleasing to him. Jesus has one life goal to please his father. And boy, did he do a job. When his father saw him, on a couple of occasions, what did he say? He said, and behold, a voice out of heaven said, this is my beloved son in whom I, what? Well pleased. Following Jesus, he would not miss thinking about some kind of idea, extravagant idea of being like Jesus. Well, how about we start with this? Simple as that. What was in Jesus' mind when he did anything? He said, was it pleasing to my father? And yes, it was. And so if you want to be like Jesus, you do as him with this idea, life goal, pleasing to God. And if God was pleasing Jesus, right? He was totally pleased with Jesus. Because there's no one on the face of the earth that God loves more than Jesus. There's no one. He loved Jesus eternity past. That's his son. And he said, I am in love with him. And above all in the world, God the Father loves his son, Jesus Christ. And he said, if you would be like him, he saved you. But if you would be like him in walking in his shoes and speaking his words and doing what he does for the same purpose that he did, guess what? I'm in love with you. Now, when you are sanctified, integrated, formed, and transformed into the image of God, that's what it means that you're doing everything with this mindset. Is it pleasing to God? Do I bring happiness 
to God because the Father's happiness, the Father's joy is rooted in Jesus, is rooted in Jesus. And everyone who looks like Jesus, Father takes pleasure in them. And this is a great reminder for us. This is a great start. When Paul is starting, he said, you must walk and please God. As, just as you also do, you're doing it. Keep on doing. And we're motivated not by fear, not by just struggling to obey and struggling to please, but we're motivated by love towards our Father. I'll give you an illustration. A boy was asked to throw rocks to break some windows. You know how boys are? They just do stuff. You know, they throw rocks and hit the cars or whatever. And so they were all excited and they asked him, hey, how about you joined us? And he said, no, I can't join you because my father would not like that. And they start ridiculing him and saying that, oh, you're afraid of your daddy, right? You're afraid what he could do to you. And he said, no, I'm not afraid of my daddy. I'm afraid of what I could do to my daddy by my actions. That's what I'm afraid. This is how we are motivated, Christians, those who are in Christ Jesus, in the Lord Jesus, those who already received the structure, those who already been placed into a special relationship with the Father, we have one idea to please God. And as Adrian Rogers, who, are, who is now with the Lord, he used to say, if you please God, it does not matter whom you displease. But if you displease God, it doesn't matter whom you please. Question for you. How are you doing on walking and pleasing your God? Now you would say, how can you do that? Have you ever tried to please someone or to give some Christmas gift to a rich person? A person who has everything, right? What are you going to give him? Socks? I mean, he has like 50 pairs of them. You know, iPad, he has three of them. He actually gave it to you last Christmas. So what are you going to give it to him? It's all a struggle. Like, well, how are you going to please this person with your gift? And so the second point that Paul is going here, he says, his answering question is not what you do, but, but how you do it. How do you please God? Like how you please the most, the almighty, the most richest person, the most holy God. How are you a sinful person who is so needy, desperately need of grace and mercy day after day? How in the world that I'm going to please this holy, almighty God? Now, the good news that Christ already pleased for you and he did everything, but in a practicality, the good news is that he told us what to do, right? In verses 2 and 3, he told us what to do exactly. He says, for this is the will of God. This is how you please. The means of your pleasing to God is your sanctification. The goal of your life is to please God, number one. Number two the means how you do that is by you being progressively sanctified. Now, don't mix them together. Don't mix one above another. The sanctification is not the goal. It's the means. It's the means to have relationship with the Father, loving relationship with God who is holy. And that's why he says, for I am holy, you must be holy as well. The highest goal 
of Christian life is to please God. How? By progressing in holiness. By progressing in holiness. You know, it's interesting. John Stott is a commentator. As many others tells us that the problem of ethics is the problem of our day and age today. When, because Paul, when he's talking about the will of God, he's going to talk about generally what is the will of God and what does the sanctification means. And then he goes very uncomfortably to our bedroom and says, well, this is how the sanctification actually plays out in your bedroom, in your sex life. And John Stott said that this is a problem for a day and age. Christianity is not so far from non-Christianity today. If you look at the practice, it's not that different. It's not that different by righteous life. Christians can't really boast of anything. We have adulteries in the church. We have divorces in the church. We have abuses in the church. We have people lying on taxes in the church. We have marriage with, without love in the church. We have sex, pornography, and, and everything else in the church. It is because we forgot what is pleasing to God. It is actually pleasing to our Father to see and, and to, to see our holy and progressing in purity. The success of our sanctification flows generally from the knowledge of God in obedience to his will. Knowledge of God in obedience to his will. I don't have to spend a lot of time what a sanctification is, but as Paul mentions, he says, walk and please God. To walk and please God. Your life is to walk. It means that you're progressively going somewhere. If you start walking somewhere and you end up at the same place, you know that you're walking at a treadmill, right? You didn't go anywhere. You just started there and you're going. So your Christian life never like that. You might hit the plateau at some point, but you're always moving somewhere. Where are you moving? To please God in your progression of your holiness and purity. If you look at your life and you went nowhere, you've fallen. Progressive sanctification is riding a bike. You never could stand for a long time. I've seen people trying on the stoplight. But they don't succeed for long. They're moving somewhere. God said you have to walk. That is what pleasing for me when you progress in your holiness. And generally, he's talking about that sanctification means that since you are set apart, since you are called for holy purposes, since you are different, you have to think about yourself different. You have to start thinking about what your life looks like. Is it pure? Is it holy in every area of your life? And it's not like you're always doing good. Like you're always progressing, man. It's just like, I'm, I'm fine. I'm actually afraid of those people that if I ask them well, how they're doing, they always tell good, like I'm perfect. Yeah, just, you know, I don't have any problems actually. I'm progressing so quickly, you know. Life is good. Those people live on the sunny street in a wonderland. I ask them how they're doing. They ask, I'm blessed to be stressed. Too blessed to be stressed. Really? Wow, I'd like to try that at all times. Do you have any problems? Do you have any, any prayer requests? Yeah, please pray for my wife and kids. So they're so good that I cannot stop bragging about them. So 
seriously? Is that your problem? Look deeper. You know, I tell you, there are days when there's so much holes in my holiness that I, wanna, I don't want to get up. I don't want to see your face. I don't want to hear another problem. And Paul says, that's the Christian life. You're progressing. Excel still more. Abound still more. We urge you, brethren, to excel still more in brotherly love and everything. Encourage you to walk with one another and build one another just as you also are doing. Keep on going. And he's calling us to do that under authority of God in verse 2. He says, for you have known what commandments we have given to you by the authority of Lord Jesus. This means of sanctification, they're not just from our ideas how to please God. They're given by the authority of God. And we're submitting. And in fact, the sanctification in your life is impossible without submitting to the Lord. It's impossible. If you're still doing what you're doing because of your ideas that this is the right thing to do, you're going to lose. You don't have everything together. You do not know all things. But God said, under authority of Jesus Christ, it is by his authority that we talk. And then you have to know what the will of God is. But it's really clear here. It doesn't say the will of God in Greek. It says a will of God. It means that this is one of the wills of God, one of the, his desires for his people. But that's what he starts. He starts not where some lofty thing that you have to do for Jesus and go for, to Africa to preach, but he starts here. How about we start in your sex life and we bring all things together under authority of Jesus Christ and make sure that you're doing sex pleasing to God that your bad is actually pleasing to God. Now this word interesting, the will of God, I wanna spend just a brief time of the will of God. Every time when you read the law of God, the precepts of God, the commandments of God, the will of God, what does it produce in you? Is it happy word? Are you happy to hear that? Or you have a negative connotation that something's going to smack me at my back because I don't really like that. I don't really like to do the will of God, but I have to, you know. I just have to. In order to be blessed, I have to do the will of God. But the will of God, just try to look a little bit differently. Try to substitute this word, which is really Greek word here, desire. Father's desire for you is your holiness. Now, it is the will of God. It is the written prescription of God, for sure. But in the heart, it is desire of God. He wants you. He's willing this for you. He wants for you to be blessed beyond measure. The will of God meaning thelema, meaning that it is the not predetermined will of God, but the plan, the desire, the purpose for your life. And when you take that in consideration, you would feel a lot better. He's for me. His will is actually to build me up. It's not to break me. His desire is for me. Remember, remember Jeremiah 29, 11. He uses this, for I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans for welfare and not for calamity to give you a future and hope. I have a will for you. I have a desire for you. I have a plan for you so that you would prosper. It is a good will. It is a good desire. 
Tim wrote, read this passage in 1 Peter 4, 2. He says, you must live the rest of your earthly lives are controlled by what God desires and not by human passions. Another contrary, substitution for will, desire, it's a passion. We live by our fleshly passion, but we must live by our desires of our God. What does God desire for me? Now, my goal is to please God, but what God desires for me, what is his desire? What is his goal? And his goal is to please and to make my life good and to bless me. The will of our God is his best desire for his children. God desires holiness for our lives because it is good for us. His will means good for the people and not the evil. You know, we're struggling with commandments of God because we don't trust that God loves us and that these commandments are good. We do not trust that he has the best intention for our lives and for our children. And I tell you, if you take it as like a strictly negative will of God and desire, it's not pleasant. If you tell your children, eat your, eat your ice cream, like you have to eat your ice cream. If you're going to yell at them and say, well, this is my will, you have to, you'll see that they would lose appetite. They don't, they don't want to eat. Maybe your children will. I do not know. Mine for sure, so I don't want it anymore. That's why David is able to say about the law of God, his delight is in the law of the Lord. Why? Because this law brings so much blessings. I shall delight in your statutes. I shall not forget your word. Your testimonies are delight. I shall not forget your word. Your testimonies are delight for me that, I, that they are my counselors. I shall delight in your commandments. Can you say that? That the will of God is so sweet for you that you are actively seeking to do it. One pastor said, I do not consecrate myself to be a missionary or a preacher. I consecrate myself to God to do his will where I am be in school, office, kitchen, whatever he may in his wisdom send me. Why? Because the goal is everywhere the same. Please the Lord. And his will is everywhere the same to make blessings and prosper me. Now holiness is not the aim game in itself, but the means to achieve God's pleasure. And if you try this, you will get the pleasure seeking pleasure of God. You will have the pleasure. The highest pleasure would be to seek the pleasure of our Father. Now, he goes to specifically where the sanctification happens. How do you please God? And he's, we see that in verses 1 and 2, there's an obligation to walk and to please God by obeying his commandments. But now he's going to purity and very, very down to earth to almost uncomfortable situation. When he says that there's, has to, you have to do three things in next verses, verses 3 to 6. He said you have to abstain immorality by all means. Abstain immorality. That's not an option. That's not an option. The second thing, you have to acquire your spouse and your wife in sanctified matter. When you're going to go marry, marry in holiness. And number three, do not defraud your brother, brother. 
I'll take one, one at a time. And he, he uses this word that we too familiar with this, abstain immorality, sexual immorality, is actually one word meaning pornea. And this is where the word porn comes from. But it means every type of immorality, watching inappropriate things, doing inappropriate things, fornication, adultery, masturbation, extramarital affair, premarital sex, all on this word pornea. And so why are we need, do we need to hear that? Well, because this is a problem. This is a problem for us. And I'm not just saying for problem in America. It was a problem for Thessalonians. They had no problem. Concubines, uh, slaves, they have wives to bear children, and they have prostitution for self-gratification. That was norm. That was norm. You have three, four women in your life, no problem. Wife, just raise kids and, and do some, you know, things and clean. Make sure that my, my posterity would have inheritance. And, and so that's what I have wife. I have a prostitution all over the place in First Thessalonians for self-gratification. But it's our problem today, too. We live in a world of sexual seduction that comes not only from the screens of TV and, and computers, and your cell phones is everywhere. And in fact, it's bombarding us everywhere we go. It's more real than it was there. They didn't have cell phones. They didn't have internet. They, they didn't have many, uh, many things. But the problem is not in, in what we have. The problem is always in the heart, and that's our problem. In the heart, we are prone to immorality. I don't want to give statistics, if I, even though I, I wanted to. It's, it's mind-blowing of how pornography is changing the world. It becomes so available, so accessible, so affordable, so anonymous, so appealing, brings such an alternative, and it's aggressive and addictive. There are many people that I personally know that are addicted. And you might be one of them sitting here listening to this, that this doesn't apply to me. No, it does. The will of God. Listen, if you're engaged in immorality, it doesn't matter what the will of God, other things you're going to do. This is the will of God. It is so clear. It is so obvious. And if you think that you could please the Lord in any other way by going back in your dirt, you're mistaken. Because the pleasure of God is in his son. And his son is not addicted to anything dirty. John Owen Words often repeated, be killing sin or sin will be killing you. And his mortification of flesh is really applicable to us. You know, I want to encourage you to battle hard against the first awakening of that sin. Never, ever allow yourself to play with sin. Never think that you will sin thus far and then you're going to drop and you will do good. Good. 
Do not play, do not toy with sin. Do not think that you can control your sin. The sin will control you. If you do that, sin will win every time. Every time. I would encourage you to go to the Lord before, not after. How often are we going after to the Lord and pleading for mercy because we have failed? Cry out to God before, at the very moment. Call for help. Do not, do not boast in your macho man that you could stand against sin. You will not. It will be like a rhino going through you until you're done. And you could do all these things. You could drop your phone. You could, you could, you could cut your hand if it tempts you and stuff. But if you look at the scripture, the real victory over sin, especially in, in sexual sin, is not to get married. It's not to kill your, your computer. It's from your complete maturity in Christ. It's when you have focus on Christ in every area of your life. It's not that you're trying to battle pornography problem. You're trying to, to battle the problem that you do not love Jesus. That's where the power is. And that you start serving Jesus and stop serving self. This is the power for your growth in holiness. The victory will come from overall maturity in the love of Christ. And we know that the problem is in heart. It's not somewhere else. It's right here. It's in heart. The, Jesus said, well, it's out of, the, of heart comes out all the murderous thoughts and all the immoral thoughts. Now, he's very, very down to earth. And he starts with very basic thing. How do you maintain your sexual life? And the second thing he says, verse 4, that you have to Acquire your wife in sanctified matter. I know some people would say that this is talking about your body, that each of you know how to possess his own vessel in sanctification and honor, and that's talking about against masturbation or against self-gratification in your personal body and, and sex. But he's, I think he's talking about in the context of your wife. I think that he said, when you want to get married, do not get married just to avoid immorality. It's like, okay, I can't really deal with my lust and my, with my passion. I need to get my wife. You know what you're going to do with your wife that way? You make prosti prostitutes out of her. And she would not live with you long if that's how you're going to use your wife. And Paul says, don't do that. Each of you know how to possess. And the word possess means in Greek, acquire. Acquire. When you get your wife, if you have an NASB, you have a little one there by possess his own vessel. And on the side marks, it says acquire. This is how it used. In Ruth, chapter 4, verse 10, the same word used in, in Septuagint, Greek word, says, Moreover, boss says, I have acquired Ruth. I have taken Ruth. The Moabite is the widow of Mahlon to be my wife in order to raise up the name of the deceased on his inheritance. So he says, well, just generally, avoid every type of immorality, but do not try to avoid it by getting your wife. Get your wife in holiness and purity for a good purposes. People will say, well, Paul says that when, in order to, if you cannot abstain from immorality, then in chapter 7, verse uh, 3, 
of 1 Corinthians that you could obtain your wife. But read the next verse. It says, and you do your duty to your wife and serve her. That's why you get your wife. Do not abstain from doing duty. Acquire your wife and sanctify a matter. The focus of the section is on the purity and the way how and why you are getting your wife and how you get married. When you are ready to marry, please do not do it and please do it and sanctify matter. For God has called you not for the purpose of immorality under the legal umbrella of marriage, where your lust is really and the passion is really what you're all about. You know, we think that we can't be immoral on our bed. Well, you can. If you're using your passions and lust, drive the sex at your home, you're immoral. And that's why the third thing he said, do not defraud your brother. Do not take advantage of someone, whether it's wife, whether it's neighbor. Do not go to your neighbor's wife. You actually have to say that. Do not defraud your brother. Do not go to your neighbor's wife. Now, we are ashamed to even talk about this, but these things happen. And Paul gives a serious warning. He said, listen, if, you, if you're going to dismiss that, if you're going to please God any other way outside of holiness, and you're going to try your own way, right, you might have your own way. But God is the avenger. Just make sure that he will punish. Make sure that you know that. Make sure that he's avenger. He sees your secret life. He sees it, how you defraud other people. He sees how you being immoral. Because God is righteous. And he's watching. So the highest motivation for our holiness is not simply to get rid of our sin. It is rooted in desire to please the Father. There's a great pleasure in pleasing God. I'm going to ask you a question. Do you experience the pleasure of holiness? Not as just like I'm a squeaky clean, I didn't do anything, and I'm so good. No, it, that actually... You understand that the squeaky cleanness produced by the power of God for the glory of God and that Father is smiling at you because you are pure. Do you have this kick? Do you have this desire? Do you have this joy of actually being pure? And say, man, Father, I'm so glad because you're so glad. I'm so happy because you're happy. Or you're living your life with these rules and regulations that you have to obey, and yes, you don't have to watch this thing which you really, really, really want to, but dang it, I can't. What brings your pleasure? If you're struggling with a sexual immorality and you are in the ministry, please step down. I could ask the third question, who's adequate, who's able? 
He's able, we're sinners. Like, who is able to live a holy life? Who is able? Verses 7 and 8 gives us a great, great encouragement. Look with me. He says, For God has not called us for the purpose of impurity, but in sanctification. So he who rejects this is not rejecting man, but the God who gives his Holy Spirit to you. Two things. The grace for our sanctification is supplied by God. He first calls us to be holy, and second, he gives us the greatest gift to be holy, the Holy Spirit. God is actively inviting us to please him. He said, when, he's, when you hear these holy words or sanctification, think of like he is inviting you to please him. In many ways, in many passages, he said, well, we call you, I call you out of this dark place into the light. But sometimes I talk to a young man or an older man, and I hear how they say, well, this is so hard. This is so hard. Battling with the sin, it's so hard. And I, trust me, I know. The flesh is strong. Lust is overwhelming. I feel if I don't do it, I will literally die. That's a lie. You'll not die. You'll live. Actually, you prosper. Nobody died from abstaining immorality. I do not know any funeral. But the key is not to do it yourself. Because often when we are called to this highest calling, we are feeling like someone called us to the White House to perform some duty of, of just advisor to Donald Trump on the trade war with China. Like, if someone called you today and said, well, please fill this job, you would say, totally inadequate. I have no idea. I, I buy stuff from China, but I really don't know how to advise it. I have, I'm totally inadequate. Sometimes we feel like we're totally inadequate to do the job of holiness, but God said, don't worry, I called you. But it would be a terrible idea if I just called you to this ministry of holiness and pleasing God, but it didn't supply you with anything. That would be horrible, but he did. He did. He said, for God has given us the gift of his spirit to you. The most encouraging thing in this is not that God called us to the holy life, but that he supplied his Holy Spirit, who is actually in the business of holiness because his name is the Holy Spirit. That's his speciality. God has invited you to a new type of life, life that pleases him, life that is pure, life that is sinless, life that is walking life, and he's enabling you to live that way. Not only you should live in this way, but you could live in this way. If you feel today in asking this question, is it reasonable for weak mortals to be called to this task? And the answer is, it is. It is reasonable. It is appropriate because we have the indwelling spirit in us. The third person of the Trinity so characterized by holiness that called holy, the Holy Spirit, he's indwelling in us and has power enough to enable us to walk 
in holiness. That is why Paul, in, in Romans 8, 9 and 13, he says, you are not in the flesh, but in the spirit. If indeed the spirit of God dwells in you, for you, if you are living according to the flesh, you must die. But if by the spirit you are put into death, the deeds of the body, you will live. I would encourage you to run every morning and not to rely on your flesh on your strength, on your ability, on your knowledge to fight sin and to please God, you have no idea how weak you are. But I would encourage you to plug into Jesus and to his spirit and to find power there. And there will be no excuse for us not to live a holy life. So here we have it. The aim of our life should be seeking wholeheartedly how to please our God. The approach is very simple is grow in holiness and progress in holiness by loving people, by being kind. An ability to be holy and pleasing to the Lord rests in the, in the greatest gift, the Holy Spirit. So how are you doing in pleasing God? As you go home today, take some time and say, well, how, how am I doing actually? Like, I'm doing this and that, but how am I doing in this? Like, is he, is he pleased with me? And what is the way that you're trying to please him? Is it involve holiness? Is it the primary tool? And by what power? But why, what power you're trying to impress God? But what power? Is this the Holy Spirit working in you, bringing you in the progression? Father, we thank you for your kindness toward us. You have commandment, have clear commandments and clear instruction for us, abstain immorality. That your will is our holiness and these are the means by which we please God. Help us, Father, be real. Be real as we try to please you to kill sin. And applies not only to sexual immorality, but the principle is still the same. If we love anything and anyone more than we love you, really, that is our passion. So you want to redirect us and you want to bring us to the cross where the grace is and to the power of the Spirit by which we actually can be pure. We praise you, Father. Help us not to excuse our sin, but to abstain from it, to kill it. For the name and the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen.